Welcome to Health Plus Tech, the show where we explore the law that applies at the intersection of healthcare and technology. Your hosts, Andrea Linna and Kristen Woodrum, are healthcare attorneys and partners at McGuire Woods LLP, a law firm of over 1,000 attorneys with offices throughout the United States and the world. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Health Plus Tech podcast. I'm Andrea Linna. I'm a healthcare attorney and partner at McGuire Woods in our Chicago office. And I'm here with my partner, Kristen Woodrum. We are the co-leads of the Digital Health Innovation and Technology subgroup here at McGuire Woods. And I'm thrilled to have Tiara Gunlock um, from First Stop Health on the podcast today. Um, Very excited to get her thoughts because she's a wonderful leader in this space and a wonderful female leader. And so we're excited to have her. So welcome. Thanks, Andrea. Uh, Wonderful to be here. Good. Yeah. Well, can you introduce yourself and your company and um, give us some background? Sure. I'd be happy to. So uh, as you said, my name is Tira Gunlock. I'm the president of First Stop Health, and we are a virtual care company that serves people nationwide, although we are headquartered here in Chicago. I will tell you a little bit about my background. Uh, So my education was in philosophy and healthcare administration, which basically meant that I asked a lot of questions about why healthcare was the way it was is the way it is and how we can make it better. And so I think virtual care is obviously a a big part of how we can make it better as we move forward. So first off health, uh, I've been there nearly since the beginning, almost eight years. And we have three different products uh, in our, in our suite. So we have 24 seven urgent care telemedicine. You know, when you have a rash and you need a doctor's opinion about what to do about that rash, That's what kind of the urgent care telemedicine can can do. We also have virtual mental health, which provides short-term counseling for folks. So if they have some anxiety, depression, grief, and need to talk to a counselor um, over the phone or over video, we can can, um, facilitate that as well. And then lastly, which is a product that we just added this summer, is virtual primary care. So we really believe that in a world that prioritizes things like convenience, on-demand access, personalization, that we're really well-poised to help people live better lives. Yeah, that's awesome. And I'd love to start right there on the virtual primary care. I know you're you're anything like me, and I hate to say this, but I don't have a primary care provider. Uh-oh, you know, and I think there's a lot of people that don't. I don't think I'm alone in that, right? So if, you know, for example, when I got COVID, do you go to urgent care? Where do you go, right? I didn't have a primary care provider. And so I ended up reaching out through um, companies like First Step to talk to someone that I could get a hold of quickly to have those virtual primary care issues addressed. So can you talk about how important that is, what its role is, how it emerged? Just give us some background because I think that's super important. Yeah. Well, I would say that you are you are definitely not alone. In fact, <laughs> you're with the majority of Americans that, do, that don't have a primary care uh, physician. And that's really, I would say, when we set out, kind of set our sights on virtual primary care, that is the gap that we were trying to solve, right? So. Um, A lot of people and a lot of employers, in fact, know that primary care is a great way to make people healthier. It's also a great way to save on claims costs. In fact, those that have a primary care physician are about a third less costly from a claims perspective than those that don't have a primary care physician. So, um, I mean, the concept of primary care has been around for a long time, and we've known that it can, you know, can really help reduce spend, make people healthier but so few people actually have a primary care physician. And that's actually growing as a trend and it's growing, especially among millennials. 
who are the largest you know population of the workforce. So there's this giant gap that's out there uh, to be to, for us to close, basically. And we think that part of being able to close that gap is by making it easier to use. So our virtual care solution is really designed with the end user and the patient in mind. So it doesn't require somebody scheduling or taking you know half a day off of work to drive to an appointment. Uh, you know, wait out in the waiting room, spend just a few minutes with a physician, you know, and it's it's a it's a huge cost to them from a time perspective to go do those types of things. And then, of course, they have copays, maybe surprise bills later on. And so we really try to break down the barriers that are in, in the way of people actually accessing virtual or, or, or any sort of primary care. So virtual primary care and the way that the way that we see it, um, it covers a number of different things. It's prevention and wellness. So making sure that people are getting those recommended screenings and those types of things and kind of on the right track to health. It's chronic care support for things like obesity or COPD, diabetes, hypertension. You know, the list goes on and on. <laughs> um, there's mental health care. So a lot of times, you know, a person's mental health needs don't necessarily manifest by a person saying, gosh, I really need to talk to a counselor. It instead manifests as I'm having some stomach issues or I can't sleep very well. And so a primary care physician is really in a, in a great position to serve as a mental health support resource as well because they can see that whole picture. And then lastly, primary care can support things like, you know, recommended test screenings and then, of course, referrals to specialists as well. I will say that um, that is like doing those types of things, those pillars are within the realm of kind of traditional primary care. But one of the things that um, traditional primary care doesn't have the, the, the kind of uh, the beauty of the, that our virtual primary care solution does is that we pair it with our 24-7 telemedicine. So when a person's motivation for healthcare is to, to seek healthcare is high is when they're sick, so when they have COVID. <laughs> they they go into access healthcare when they have a rash. That is when they access healthcare. But a lot of times they're going to places where they don't have a relationship and they can't continue that relationship. So we get them kind of when they're sick, when they're when their motivation is high, when they've got that rash, they've got COVID. They need to talk to somebody, and then we parlay that into a long term relationship. So we're able to kind of get them at that moment when when we have their attention, and then get them onto a path to better health over time. And so I think that you know. Those kind of pairings allow us to really, you know, move move the needle on on health and wellness. Yeah, I think that's so genius too because I've heard this was pre COVID, but so many complaints about telehealth that oh, I don't get, I don't see the same provider every time. I want to have that long term relationship, and this is such the perfect answer to that. Of like, yeah. one you can you get the benefits of both worlds where you can get in touch with someone quickly. It's over your phone. You're not, I mean, for me, it's like going to the dermatologist. I like have to leave work. I have to drive there. I have to park. And then I have to wait around because the person's not on time. And it's like, I don't have time for this. Like I'm a busy professional. You know what I mean? And so it's just, you know, putting those two things together and saying, I can see my provider who I like, who I've chosen and mm -hmm. have the convenience of it all. It's so smart. Yeah. Well, and it's, I mean, part of it was also built on, yeah, listening to patients. So one of the things that we often heard after we would after a patient would kind of review our service on the telemedicine side was this was great can you help me now with you know x y and z my asthma my you know whatever it is and at the time you know years ago we, we weren't really set up for that right and so now we've kind of built that to answer their answer their needs as well yeah as a consumer i'm sold and it's been fascinating to see how telehealth has been growing and um 
I, I know we've talked before about the mantra, all healthcare is local, and we've heard it for years. And this just turns it on its head. So <laughs> it's local, except when it's not. And so would love your thoughts on how virtual health, including the virtual primary care, fits within the current care delivery system and in what ways it disrupts or has the potential to disrupt it. Yeah, it's um yeah, it's hard to be more local than your own couch. <laughs> so, um so it's it feels like it's taking that a, an extra an extra step further. Um you know, when I think about how kind of like primary care grew up and how virtual care has kind of grown up, it's only been in recent times that those things have kind of converged. Um yeah, like really within the last few years, but a lot of times with the even with kind of a traditional primary care practice, when they would add a virtual component, it was oftentimes as an afterthought, right? So it's like you come in maybe a number of times, and then that one time you get sick, then you can have a telemedicine visit, right? It was much, much more of an afterthought. And we kind of inherently believe that virtual care is more patient-centered because it respects a person's time. And so we'd, we'd prefer if virtual care was the default position. And that is, I think, what's like super exciting about kind of where we are now is that we're starting to see that. Sh- it's, it hasn't happened yet, <laughs> but um, from a general perspective, but like we're trying to be some of the, some one, one of the players that really tries to make that shift. And so that it's the, the default position for care. And that we really respect a person's time. So it's only in instances when we can't provide safe, effective, high quality clinical care that you would then need to come in person um, somewhere. But, you know, we, um, we, we try to leverage the good parts of healthcare, right? It's like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of good that happens in healthcare. And I think sometimes that gets lost in the conversation. I used to work um, for years in consulting on patient experience and when it comes to the actual people delivering healthcare, like they're phenomenal. Like they're wonderfully caring people, highly trained people that so often though, those relationships are discounted by all the other stuff, like all the logistics, all the hurdles that, um, that go along with seeking care. And so we really try to try to minimize those so that a person can actually benefit from the wonderful people that are in healthcare and the relationships that, that can be built through, through virtual care. And I was going to ask about the biggest drivers for patients engaging in virtual care, obviously convenience and patient experience, um, but also wanted to ask about the virtual first health plans and kind of those other drivers and trends you're seeing in this area. Yeah. um, So when it comes to engaging in care, I mean, I still recognize that virtual care requires behavior change, right? Like, it, it, it's either change from using in-person care to virtual care, or it's changed from doing nothing because in-person care was too hard to using virtual care. So it requires behavior change. And so we rely a lot on kind of the social science and behavioral science on user behavior change, which um, the kind of preeminent thought leader on that is BJ Fogg. I don't know if you guys have read BJ Fogg. He's got a great book called Tiny Habits Out. Um, and he talks about behavior change using three different kind of pillars. One is motivation. So patient has to have some level of motivation to change. Um, the second is ability. So you have to make it easy to do. Um, and if a person's motivation is low, you have to make it very easy to do. If a person's motivation is high, you can make it a little harder to do, but not too, not too hard. Um, and then alongside both of those things, you have to constantly trigger and remind a person to do those types of things. And so our virtual care model is really built with those things in mind. So we recognize where a person is on that motivation spectrum. We try to break down all those barriers and then we prompt them all the time through both 
you know, personal interactions, like we will have a nurse call a patient and say, hey, I care about you. What's going on? Why is it so hard to make this, this appointment or, or what, what may be? Um, so we, you know, we have those personal touches as well as automated touches as well. And so I think that that's, you know, because we recognize those things, we've been able to really get high engagement. So we typically lead the industry in, in utilization and those types of things. And that's also because we care about it and we align our incentives with employers so that they are also, you know, working with us to design the right communications to get people to, you know, in the fold. Yeah, yeah that's, statistics are very impressive. So thanks for touching on that. Yeah. No, and that's so smart um, because I think what you were mentioning, like, why is it so hard to make this an appointment, right? And we all fall into this, you know, this task has been on my to-do list for like six months, right? To make this appointment or whatever. Um, so I can imagine for everyone probably has that problem, right? And to be able to have someone proactively reach out. I've never had anyone do that for me, you know, to have my provider be able to do that. I think that's huge. And it yeah. reminds me too of just how important all this is to eventually get to the place of value-based care where we can make sure that we're actually taking care of people on the front end and getting them engaged in their care so we can end up saving money on the back end, right? And get away from this fee-for-service model. Yep. Yeah. And I mean, we, so one of the things that we try to do is, as I said, like align our incentives with our employer with our employer clients, and we actually guarantee return on investment for our services. Um, so we know, you know, every time that a person uses, say, for example, our urgent care uh, service, we calculate savings based on them coming to us versus going to, say, an emergency room. Um, and so we're able to align our incentives with with the employers because, you know, the more we can kind of divert from that traditional claims processing, which has so much additional costs and kind of um, humans checking claims and all those types of things, uh, the more we can kind of divert from that traditional model. Model, the better off basically everybody is. The better off employers are because they're paying less. Um, the better off the patients are because it's a better experience. Um, so there's a lot of um, you know a lot of good that kind of comes from 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 diverting those folks. Yeah. Well, and like you said, it's behavior change because pre-pandemic, I know I thought like, oh, if something's wrong, I just go to the urgent care because I live in the city and there's yeah. 100 urgent cares and you know the block around me. But now after COVID, it's like, oh, yeah, I can reach someone on my phone, right? I've got a provider there. And so many people for the first time during COVID had that virtual interaction with the healthcare system that they wouldn't have even thought about before. So it opens up a whole new level of behavior. Change. Yeah, and it's interesting. I mean, it did. It certainly opened it up for a lot of patients. It also opened it up for a lot of physicians who were forced mm -hmm kind of to use it for the first time and then discover the great benefits of, of virtual care and how and how easier how much easier it was than perhaps they thought it might have been. Um, right. So that's been also a wonderful thing too in terms of kind of recruiting. You know, we have our own physician network. So being able to recruit doctors, um, I think has, has been slightly easier post-pandemic because there's just a greater level of acceptance among the clinical community as well. What are you most excited about in terms of the future of first stop or virtual care? Um, I mean, I would say that I'm excited about a lot of things. I'm excited, you know, like <laughs> I wake up every day knowing that our that our service makes a difference in people's lives. Um, and I that's that's kind of continually a driving force in, in kind of why I love doing what I do. I would say from a from a kind of general digital health space, I think that, um, 
you know, I think a lot about trust. And so there was a lot of kind of articles that have come out over the last year or two about the crisis of trust within healthcare. And, um, and I think that actually digital healthcare can help with that. So if you think about trust being like built on the, I think it was a guy named Charles Green, he came up with the trust equation. So it's credibility, reliability, and intimacy. And then you divide that all by your self-orientation. But all of that basically, like to have those interactions, you have to make it easier. So digital healthcare makes it easier for people to, to kind of get in and to have interactions that are reliable, credible, um, that are intimate because we allow for more time with patients um, and a little less kind of focused on what's what's best necessarily for the health system or the physician and thinking a little bit more about the patient. So I think that there's a way that we can use this moment within digital healthcare and the kind of boon here um, to really build trust back with, uh, with populations. And I, I think that that's a really exciting thing. That is awesome. Well, I'm glad this is recorded because I should have been taking notes. You've got so many great <laughs> insights. I love it. Um, well, thank you so much for being a guest. Um, this was really informative and really helpful. Um, so we're going to be posting this on YouTube, on LinkedIn, on our social media pages, and then it will be on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. So thank you everyone for listening and thank you for being our guest. Thanks.